This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Chapter 3, and just reading the first couple of verses. Paul writing to Timothy said, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. This morning we were looking at some of the signs of Christ's return, uh, some of these signs that Apostle Paul gave us. Of course, there's many more signs Jesus in Matthew 24, Luke 17 also gives us things that we can watch, see the signs of the times. And we said this morning that within society, they have this mindset that if only we were more educated, if only we were cleverer, if only we were more sophisticated, if only we were more technologically and scientifically minded, then somehow psychologically, In any other way, we would be better people, be better citizens, be better parents, we'd be better at our jobs, we'd be better everything, this utopian ideal. But we know that is completely and utterly wrong. Uh, If you take an example, for instance, uh, Germany. Uh, Germany probably was one of the most intellectual, most knowledgeable countries in the world, And they gave us such uh, great men and such wonderful music like Bach and Brahms and Mozart and Mendelssohn and others. But that same nation gave us Hitler and Himmler and gave us the death camps like Dachau and Auschwitz and Birkenau. And so we know it's not a, a problem of the intellect, it's a problem of the heart. And whenever the heart is not dealt with, then it doesn't matter how sophisticated we become, nothing's going to change. In fact, what we've been reading this morning on tonight tells us, in fact, it's getting worse. Every year, it's just getting worse and worse. And Paul sees there are some of the signs, he said, that we can watch out for. We talked this morning about those who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Actually, there's 18, 18, 19 mentioned here in all. And we need to get through them when we stop short this morning because there was just too many to deal with. But as I said this morning, we'll end up on a positive note because the Apostle Paul does not want us as believers. Uh, he wants us to be aware of this and to be uh, 
careful about it and pray much about it and know the times we're living in, but not to be frightened, not to be scared, not to lie down or cow down, uh, not to give up and to quit because of these things. Uh, so we need to continue reading here. In verse 3, he talked about those who are unloving. Unloving, the authorized version puts it without natural affection. Without natural affection. Storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, is, is family affection. It's a Greek word for family affection. And normally, usually within families, there's a great affection. Uh, some families, are obviously, are much closer than others. But generally speaking, there's an, there's an affection within families for each other, for siblings, for parents, and so forth. But then Paul puts an A in front of this word, and that totally changes it. Uh, the word A means none, or no, or not. And when that's put in front of it, then it means without, having no natural affection. And in fact, Paul even makes it worse than that because in Romans 1, 31, where he also mentions this word, if you look at Romans 1, there's a context there, and the context actually is about homosexuality. And it's an unnatural affection. There is an affection. Today the mantra is, well, we love each other. There's an affection, but it's an unnatural affection. It's not a godly affection. It's not a biblical affection. And so Paul says in the last days, we would see much more of this. And we are seeing it all over the world today. We're seeing this. And Jesus said in Luke 17 that two of the big signs is the world would be like, the last days would be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And both those days are upon us right now. In Genesis 19, which we're not going to read, you remember how two angels came to Lot who was living in Sodom. Now, Lot was a righteous man. He was a good man. But he lived in Sodom. He could not have lived in a worse place. Not only that, he was at the gate of Sodom, which means he became one of the elders, one of the town leaders. Even though he was a righteous man, but he vexed his righteous soul daily, the Bible says, but what he saw and what was around him continually. And remember how two angels came to Lot to get him out of the city because God was going to destroy it. And how the, the, the city people saw the two angels. And obviously angels must be beautiful. And even if they came as men, looked like men, no doubt they, they looked to be handsome, beautiful men. And these people came banging on Lot's door, demanding that they had their way with these two men. I don't have to spell out what that means. And, and, and they were banging on the door. And Lot went out and closed the door behind him and pleaded with them. And in fact... He knew what they wanted, and he offered his two daughters instead. And they says, no, we don't want that. We want those two men. And just by that, the door opens, and the angel grabs Lot and pulls them in and strikes them all blind. But if you read on in Genesis 19, you'll see that even when they're struck blind, they still banged on the door from the youngest to the oldest, it says. All the age groups, and they were blind, but they were still banging on the door. Such was the drive, the unnatural drive that was there. And today we see it on our streets. I've never been to a gay parade, and I don't intend to be to one, but I've seen it on television, and what I saw was just terrible, unbelievable. 
The state of dress is just awful. Without natural affection, and Paul said it would increase. I remember Paul speaking here from a Roman Greco world. <laughs> and I mean, the Roman Greco world, there were no prudes in it. I mean, that was vile too. But he lived with that all the time. And he said, it's going to get worse in the last days. If Paul was here today, I don't know what he would think when he sees what, he, what we see today. And then in verse 3, talks about unforgiving. The AV says, truce breakers, irreconcilable, implacable, truce breakers, vow breakers. Divorce rate is an all-time high. An all-time high. Vows are broken indiscriminately, continually. Truce breakers irreconcilable no desire whatsoever to have reconciliation one or other will not do it so we become implacable holding on to enmity truce breakers truce breakers how many agreements how many treaties has been broken by world leaders and governments, and the UN in particular. Every treaty, peace initiative that Israel has ever made with the Palestinians, every one of them has been broken by the Palestinians. Every single one of them. Every time they give up land for peace, it doesn't work because they want all of it. And so all the accords that were signed with, with worldwide recognition President Clinton and different ones. It all seemed grand at the time, but it wasn't worth the paper it was written on. It didn't mean a thing because it was broken continually, truce breakers all the time breaking the word. 1938, September, Neville Chamberlain, the then British Prime Minister, uh, flew to Munich to meet Adolf Hitler to try to get some kind of a pact because he was making all kinds of noises about war. And so Hitler and uh, Chamberlain, they drew up a pact, the Munich Agreement, in which Hitler promised not to invade Europe. <laughs> and Neville Chamberlain come back and at the airport, you can see it in the old newsroom, he's waving the treaty, peace for our time. <laughs> And within a year, Hitler had invaded Poland and Britain and France had to declare war on Germany. Hitler said later it was just a scrap of paper. Didn't mean a thing. Didn't mean a thing. Truce breakers. Slanders, verse 3. A.V. said false accusers. And the word is diablos. which is the word for devil. It means adversary, slander, false accuser. And it's a fitting picture of Judas, by the way, who was a false accuser, an adversary, and a slander who sold Jesus out. In John chapter 6, 
verse 66, from that time many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? Diabolos, same word. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. <coughs> Slanders, false accusers, adversary, Diablos. The Nazi party under Hitler began a campaign of slander against the Jewish people, first of all in Germany. And they made movie reels to lampoon them, to make fun of them, to make them out to be idiots and morons and greedy and seedy, and made grotesque cartoons and began to spread that throughout the land. And so whenever the Nazi party began to do to the Jews what they always intended to do, then by that time the people were really brainwashed that this was a good thing to do because of these evil Jewish people that was portrayed as evil and wicked and schemers and all the rest of it. Slanders, and they lampooned them. And then they denigrated them. Then they blamed them and all of the ills of the country. Every ill there was, they blamed them and they despised them and they rejected them and then they segregated them. Then finally, they carted them off to the death camps and gassed them. What began was slander and false accusations and what even began is poking fun and laughing at ended ended in mass extermination. Goebbels was the master of propaganda and delighted in doing it. And the sad truth is it's continuing today. Those who hate the Jews today do the very same thing. They put their cartoons up. They make lies about them. They get back to things that they said centuries ago they were supposed to be doing and they never did do, but that's brought up again and again and again. So that anti-Semitism is based on slander and false accusations and lies and so forth. Of course, Arab and Muslim leaders today, there's many of them, if they had their way, they would absolutely destroy them and wipe them out completely and utterly. By the way, did you notice what started out as poking fun at Christians in the West? that that has now become much more sinister. Because now, it's not just poking fun or laughing at or lampooning. Now it's beginning to get laws that will cause Christians not to be able to do what we can and should do. And it's increasing continually. What they did with the Jews, now they're doing with the Christians. So where could that lead to? Well... It can lead to all kinds of persecution, can't it? And then it says, without self-control. And that specifically means without self-control regarding bodily desires. Here's a scary thought. Never in the history of mankind has pornography been so widely available and accessible to everyone, to every child 
that it's got a mobile phone with an internet connection, the potential to watch pornography is immense. And parents don't think for one moment that your child could not be tempted. Peer pressure, natural curiosity, all of that can lead someone down that path. And if you're a parent and your child's got a phone, make sure and tell them, they may be at a certain age where they'll be on, but make sure as much as you can to get that filtered. And even with it filtered, there's still a chance that pornography will come on. Because the pornographers, what they do is, they make, you know, you just put in an innoxious word that has nothing to do with pornography, and suddenly that will pop up. And they do that to catch you out and to lead you in. It's a multi-billion dollar pound industry. It's big, big business. It's within their interest to get as many people involved in it. And the trouble is, it's corrosive to the spirit. It damages the soul. It hurts families. It destroys marriages. It ruins so many things. And the trouble is, those who enter into it, particularly those who actually do it for money, because I have listened to them on television saying our biggest regret is we cannot turn the clock back and it's out there forever, forever. And one day our children's going to see that and our friends can see it, even though we've stopped it and realized how bad it is, but we can't take it back. It's done without self-control. And it's not just kids. It's not, it's not just kids or young people. It's all ages, all ages. Just a couple of years ago, the biggest selling book in Great Britain. <laughs> it was written pornography, that's what it was. And it was built by a housewife, by a woman, made her a multi-millionaire, and it was sold to a woman. It was a woman who was buying it by the millions. So it's not just kids, it's not just young people, it's all age groups. Paul said, without self-control. Then he says, brutal which means fierce, uncivilized. Any of you, and I know some of you have, certainly we have, been to Auschwitz-Birkenau, been to those death camps in Poland. I would advise you, if you get an opportunity to do it, you will never fully understand it until you go there. And even when you go there, your brain, you can hardly take it in. It's just so awful. When you stand there and see the pictures and stand in the places where they stood, and begin to understand what they did to innocent people. It's just incredible. And you had Dr. Josef Mengele, the, the angel of death, they called him. And here was a highly educated man. Here was a man who studied medicine. Here was a man, even in his dress, he was immaculate. Here was a man who smiled. Here was a man who seemed so genteel, and yet he was a mass murderer. And his focus was on children especially, and twins particularly. 3,000 twins were murdered by that one man in experiments of all kinds that you couldn't even begin to imagine. It was unbelievable. And whenever those children were taken off the train, particularly twins, uh, some of them ended up calling them... <laughs> Uncle Yosef, because he had, he had chocolate and candies in his pocket to give to them. And they, were, they got special treatment. They weren't to work, and they got more food and all the rest of it, because he kept them especially for his experiments. 
and what he would do with twins was he'd maybe inject some with, with typhus or some plague and he would leave the other one and he would see when that one dies then he would kill the other one and compare the two bodies to see the damage that was done but it, was, it was unreal try to change the colour of their eyes by injecting stuff in their eyes it's just, it's just unreal just so barbaric and brutal and Paul says those will be the days and they've come they're here so what of today is society not becoming more brutal? Is movies, programs, games, are they not becoming more brutal as it goes on? There's an epidemic of knife crime in London right now as we speak. An epidemic. People just stabbing people for no reason. For no reason. Just going up and just killing people in the streets of London. It's, it's unreal, isn't it? It's just, it's insane, it's mad, it's evil, it's wicked. Just a few years ago in America, there was a young man, there was a Batman movie on in Colorado in a place called Aurora. And James Holm, who was a straight-A student, just a young man, he walks in there pretending to be the Joker in the Batman movie. And he shoots dead 12 people, including children, the injures 58. And a week later, just a week later, a comedian in California, stand-up comedian, was making jokes about it a week later. And you would have thought that the people listening would have got up and walked out because people hadn't been buried yet. And instead of getting up and walking out, they were clapping and cheering. And a Facebook page was made, not for the victims, but for the perpetrator. That's how sick this world has become. And society has become, it's unbelievable. Just a couple of years ago in Manchester, Karen Stapleton was given 30 years for the brutal murder of a young, bright Indian student, 23 years old. For no reason whatsoever, he walked right up to him and he shot him in the head at point-blank range and stood and laughed over his body. Then he booked the hotel opposite for him and his mates to come and to watch the police dealing with it, and they sat and laughed. It's unreal, isn't it? Then when he was caught and he got his long sentence, he got a teardrop tattooed under his eye, not because he was sorrowful or sad, but to show his cellmates that he was a murderer and proud of it. <laughs> South Africa, just some time back, three men burst into the home of a former employee. The man was alone at the time. They beat him with a golf club and a machete, and then they shot him dead. They waited for his wife and son to come home. They brutally raped her. They shot her dead. The young boy saw it all, and he was standing there crying. You know what they did? They tied him up hand and foot. They put him into a bath of scalding water and drowned him. And whenever they were caught in court, they laughed and scorned and joked. That's how sick humanity has become. And that's what Paul said would happen. And he says, when you see this happening, know that you're in the last days. That's before the Antichrist comes. This is the precursor. 
despisers of those that are good. Let some good man or good woman speak up of a cause and they're going to be in trouble. Now, I watch, Sally wouldn't watch them. She just, because she knows I get angry at it, so she clears off. I watch those panel shows, you know, maybe Dimbley and those, you know, where they've maybe panelists and they've invited audience and it's always rigged. You know, they're usually anti-establishment and anti-everything. But they usually have one person on that would be quite good. Peter Hitchens, when, I, I like it when he's on. Uh, <laughs> he had a brother who, in America who died not so long ago who was a, an avowed atheist and attacked Christianity all his life. But his brother is the total opposite, a good man, a righteous man. And when he's on, no matter what he says, the crowd is against him. And I mean, they boom and everything. Just one person standing up for what is truth, and they boom and shout at him in the TV studio. It's awful to watch. No wonder Sally goes away, because I get angry at that. Despisers of those that are good. Isaiah 5.20, woe unto those who call evil good and good evil. And that's the days that we're living in where it's all turned around in its head. Traitors, verse 4. Those who are treacherous towards their fellow man, betrayers. And Luke used that word in describing Judas dealing with Christ. Those who would sell their friends and their friendships for a better offer. Politicians <laughs> very often do that, don't they? You see, in this race to become prime minister, you saw the backstabbing, didn't you? <laughs> They're all supposed to be friends and colleagues until the race to the top started, and then it was every man for himself, and it's who could stick the dagger in whom. And it said of one politician that he, that he stuck the dagger in one's back, and then he stuck the other one in one's front. <laughs> he didn't care where he stuck the dagger. It was awful. Traitors. People who will sell out anybody for anything. Countries as traitors. We've had them in Britain. We have them all over the world. Russia, Russia's spies are great for infiltrating countries and getting on board people from that country to be traitors to that country. And they're expert at it. And usually what they do is they get them in compromising positions and then they blackmail them into becoming traitors. Headstrong, hasty, reckless, rash, that means. Everything today has got to be done right now. Instant, we want instant success, instant gratification, instant right now. We want it today, now. That's the mantra. Give it to me now, today. I want it. Not wait, not work for it. I just give it to me right now. Headstrong, reckless. And again, the governments, you see them bringing out all kinds of things. They never think it through. They just want to do it. Our current prime minister who's leaving in a few days, she's trying to push through all kinds of things before she leaves as her legacy. <laughs> Without thinking any of it through, who's going to pay for it? How's it going to work? I don't care. That's my legacy. Headstrong will not listen. Haughty, verse 4. Haughty, high-minded, conceited, arrogant, puffed up. And we saw that this past number of years, particularly with the banking industry, where we, the taxpayer, bailed them out. <laughs> bailed them out. 
by the billionth. And then they come before a committee in Parliament to answer, and they sit there so arrogantly and so conceitedly, as if, who, me? Not my fault, <laughs> really? And they go away with their million-pound gold-plated pensions, laughing up their sleeve at everybody else. And such is the arrogance and the conceitedness of these people it is just beyond belief. And Paul said we would see this haughtiness, this high-mindedness, conceit and arrogance. We would see much more of it in the days we're living in, and we're seeing it continually. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In the Western world particularly, the only criteria is if it feels good if it feels good. It doesn't matter what it is, if it feels good. It doesn't matter whether God's against it, if it feels good. It doesn't matter if the Bible dis <laughs> discourages it, if it feels good. And sometimes Christians fall into this trap too. They think if it feels good. See, this is as old as the Garden of Eden, isn't it? This is as old as Eve. When she saw the fruit, she saw it, she smelt it, she looked at it, she handled it, she tasted it. It felt good, it tasted good. And God says, no, don't touch that. It'll bring death to you. No, no, it looks good, it feels good, it smells good, it tastes good, it's good to my senses, I'm going to have it. And what happened? Well, everybody has paid the price for that sin ever since, haven't they? And so the, the industry of entertainment pushes the boundaries further and further and further because it feels good. But what felt good last year doesn't feel good this year, so you need something more. It's like drugs, isn't it? Or alcohol. What satisfied last week doesn't satisfy this week, so you need more. But it has to feel good. And so we must get something because it feels good getting it. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We love pleasure. The entertainment industry is massive because we love pleasure. And Paul says this is going to be increasingly so. And so Christians, sadly, many of them have swallowed this mindset because they say we can do whatever we like because, you see, we're liberated now. We're not legalistic anymore. We're free. We're in grace. So we can do whatever we like because it feels good. God wants us to feel good. He wants us to be happy. So I feel good and happy if I do that, so there I go, God must be pleased. No, no. If God says no in this book... That's the criteria that believers are to live by, not if it feels good. So we no longer ask, is this right? We ask, how does this feel? Then he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So we're coming to an end. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. A religion of the head but not of the heart. Outward ritual, but no inward reality. A creed without a cross. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. The Daily Telegraph published a report. They polled 2,000 of the 10,000 clergy of the Church of England. It's the National Church, the Church of England. So they polled 2,000 out of 10,000, and they found that one-third of them doubted or disbelieved in the physical resurrection of Jesus. Only half were convinced of the truth of the virgin birth, and that's the preachers. <laughs> what chance has the people in the pews gone if that's the preachers? 
Only half believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Can you imagine that? And the liberal wing, that's, that's the, the orthodox wing, the liberal wing was even worse. Two-thirds doubted the resurrection, so that means only one-third believe in the resurrection. Three-quarters doubted the virgin birth, so only one-quarter believe in the virgin birth. In fact, there's some of them doesn't even believe in God. <laughs> in fact, there was, there was a, a minister in the south a few years ago, a Church of Ireland minister, who said, I do not believe in God. <laughs> and he was in the pulpit every week. Boys, I dare you, you'd be running from that place, wouldn't you? You'd run a million miles away. So what are we to do? These are the times we're living in. And Paul's telling us this, and he says this will increase in intensity and magnitude. But does that mean then that we're to run away and hide? No, 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 no. No, no, no. We are to stand for truth. And it'll become increasingly a challenge to do that, to stand for truth. And we're to trust God. And we're to believe that even though we're in the last of the last days, that God still has his plan for us and for his church in the midst of it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Christ. Won't be able to stand against the church at the end of it. What about the church? Well, if you were just to go by what's happening in the Western world, then you would be greatly discouraged. And most commentators go by what's happening in the Western world and North America. Membership in churches is increasingly falling in the Western world, North America and in Europe. Falling. But it's rising exponentially everywhere else. In fact, Christianity is almost divided now to the, to the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. And the Southern Hemisphere is growing leaps and bounds, and the Northern Hemisphere is losing. And so commentators focus on all they know because that's where they live in the northern hemisphere. That's all they see. But if they look beyond that and see what's happening in the southern hemisphere, it's entirely different. Here's an article. How Christianity is growing around the world today. In his book, The Clash of Civilizations, Samuel Huntington predicts that demographics will decide the clash between Christianity and Islam. And as he puts it, Here's what he said. In the long run, Muhammad wins out. But that's not true. So the writer of this says, in this instance, Huntington is wrong. For the foreseeable future, there will be many more Christians than Muslims in the world. As Penn State professor Philip Jenkins writes, in the next Christendom, the coming of global Christianity, prediction like Huntington's betray an ignorance of the explosive growth of Christianity outside of the West. So he's only thinking about North America and the West. For instance, in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. By 2000, there were 360 million. By 2025, conservative estimates see the number rising to 633 million. Those same estimates put the number of Christians in Latin America in 2025 at 640 million and in Asia at 460 million. And by the middle of this century, there will be 3 billion Christians in the world by the middle of this century. One and a half times the number of Muslims. In fact, by 2050, listen to this, 
By 2050, there will be nearly as many Pentecostal Christians in the world as there are Muslims today. <laughs> See, Latin America, Pentecostal Christians are growing exponentially, leaps and bounds. But at that point, only one-fifth of the world's Christians will be non-Hispanic whites. The typical Christian will be a woman living in a Nigerian village or a Brazilian shanty town. And these changes will be more than demographic, Jenkins points out, that he who calls southern Christians, those living in Africa or Latin America or parts of Asia, are far more conservative theologically and morally than their counterparts in the West. And that's absolutely true. The Anglican Church in Africa is absolutely disgusted with the Anglican Church in Britain. The only difference is the Anglican Church in Britain's got all the money. But the Anglican Church in Africa doesn't like what's happening to the Anglican Church in Britain. They're too liberal. They're allowing too many things. And the Anglican Church in Africa is kicking up about it. Thus, as Christianity becomes more Southern, it becomes more biblically orthodox. And while people like Bishop John Shelby Spong and the Templeton Prize winner Arthur Peacock insists that Christianity must abandon its historic beliefs to survive. It is precisely these historic beliefs that attract our southern brethren. That's why Spong and Peacock's own Anglican Communion African bishops are ordaining missionaries to reconvert the West. <laughs> it's not good. The African church is sending missionaries to, to Europe to reconvert them. The story of Christianity's explosive growth is one of the great untold stories of our time, a story that North American Christians need to hear. It is a story that repudiates those who say that Christians must compromise their beliefs to remain relevant. The opposite is the case. Biblical orthodoxy is winning converts while churches that have lost their biblical moorings language. language. In fact, the liberal church in Britain says, let's be more liberal, let's allow everything and everybody to do what everybody wants, we'll just love everybody and that's it. And you know what? They're losing thousands, tens of thousands out of their churches. But the churches that stand for truth, they're gaining. This shift of Christianity's center of gravity is also a reminder to the Western Christians that we are not the whole show and that we have to start thinking differently about ourselves. We're part of a much larger community, the worldwide church. Finally, it's a sign that no matter how bad things seem at home, God is at work throughout the world. Everywhere it is proclaimed the gospel is changing lives and societies. So the church is far from finished, isn't it? It may look that way in the West, but it's certainly not in the South. And here's a related article. Studies and reports estimate significantly more people have converted from Islam to Christianity in the 21st century than at any point in Islamic history. I'll read that again because you mightn't believe it. Studies and reports estimate significantly more people have converted from Islam to Christianity in the 21st century than at any other point in Islamic history. See what's happening in Syria in these places. A lot of the people who's lived there, who's been, had a hellish life there, are getting out of Islam because they can see no good in it. They've had enough of it. According to 2015 Believers in Christ from a Muslim background, a global consensus study estimates 10.2 million Muslim converts to Christianity around the world. There are many, many converts in Iran at this point. 
but we don't hear that spoken of here. Many, many, many converts in Iran and these Islamic, Islamic nations. God is moving uh, through satellite TV and all the rest of it. There's a thing called Sat7 uh, that's particularly geared for the, Arab, the Arabic world. And they're coming by the thousands to Christ in the Arab world just through those programs. And they're writing by the tens of thousands for literature and for books and for Bibles. I heard a report one time in, at the, the Moira Missionary Convention and one of the guys who was involved in Sat7 talked about it and that's, he said it's just amazing what's happened. But the West doesn't know about that. And so Paul said these things are signs of the times that we're living in, but yet, in spite of all of that and more, the church is forging ahead. And we in the West need to wake up to what's happening. At the moment, we have some rights yet left, but how long will it be before those rights will be swept away? And then that'll be fun, won't it? The church in the world that's persecuted grows the fastest always did it always did the church in China who has had waves and waves of persecution there's one big one going on right now every time there's a wave of persecution the church grows continually may have to go underground but it grows it never stops growing and that has been the pattern since Christianity began and it will be the pattern until Christ comes back amen so let's not fear Let's not worry and let's not be sick with anguish and anxiety over this. God is in control. He warns us, he shows us, and he tells us. So it will not go back and will not give up and will not quit, but will continue on and will do better than ever before. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks that you're a great God and that your church is a great church. And Lord, while we see many weaknesses in the Western church, but yet there's many strengths in other parts of the world. And we thank you, Lord, that you're always in control of world events. Nothing ever surprises you. And Lord, that your eye is always over the righteous and your ear is always open unto their cry. And so we give you thanks tonight. We thank you that we have read the book and we know the end of the story and we win. So we thank you, Lord. There's many battles to be fought, but the war is already won. It was won at Calvary when your blood was shed. And we thank you, Lord, that the date you have set for the devil's demise is fast approaching. And he knows it. And that's why he's going mad upon the earth. But we thank you that the gates of hell shall not prevail upon the church. We thank you, Lord, for your strength and your grace and your mercy in our lives every single day. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to be strong. Help us, Lord, to stand for truth and righteousness in the days that we're living in. Help us to be real and true believers in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.